is made up of 10 prokim, and this is really the final 10 prokim of what was originally one large mesechta of 30 prokim, which contained within it all of the laws concerning monetary matters between different people. So Bob Kama talked about the laws of damages and stealing. Bob Metzia spoke about lost items and about shomrim and about certain laws which apply in a transaction like onoa and ribis, not overpricing, not taking interest. And Bob Basra continues these laws and the main topics which are discussed in this Masechta are firstly laws which apply to somebody's property. So that would include relationships between neighbors and what one is able to do within his property. A few of the Prakim in the Masechta also discuss what is included in a sale. If somebody sells something, what's included in that sale? Later on in the Masechta, we discuss the laws of inheritance as well. And at the end of the Masechta, the Torah talks about the laws of certain documents. But Biazme, the first part of the Masechta, discusses laws which apply to neighbors and people who have partnerships. And the first partnership which is discussed is two people who share a courtyard. During the times of the Mishnah, a courtyard, most houses would open up into a courtyard which was shared by a number of people. You'd have a few houses opening up to the same courtyard. And people would do many, many of their daily regular activities in this courtyard. And there are two different types of courtyards. One is known as a Chotzer Sheyeshbot in Chalukah which means that it's a courtyard which is large enough that any member of that courtyard is able to force the other members of the courtyard to split up the courtyard so they'll no longer share the entire courtyard. They'll split it up and one half will belong to him and one one half will belong to the other person. Or if there's more than two houses which open up onto it, then they would split it accordingly. The other type of courtyard is a courtyard which is too small for one to be able to do that. This is known as a Chotzer She'einbod in Chalukah. It is not a courtyard which is too small for this law to apply, that one of the owners of the courtyard can force everybody to split the courtyard. Since it's too small, when they split it, they'll no longer be able to use the courtyard for the same uses, because there won't be enough space for many of the things which they want to do once it will be split. And in such a case, there is a different law which applies, and that is that let's take a simple case where there are two houses which open up into the courtyard. The owner of one of the houses, or one of the owners of the courtyard, can turn around to the other one and say, it's true that we can't, I can't force you to split the courtyard, but I can present you with two options. To either sell me your half of the courtyard, or to buy my half of the courtyard. That is the law which applies in a Chatzah She'embodin Chalukah. Now, our first Mishnah is talking about a Chatzah in Chalukah. So it's a smaller courtyard. And it's true that one partner is not able to force the other partner to split the courtyard. But if they agree to do so, then of course they can. All of these laws are just monetary laws to settle disputes between them. If they agree to split the courtyard, they can certainly do so. And so we're discussing a case where that is exactly what they did. So they've already split the courtyard. And now another issue arises, and that is an issue of Hezekriya. Hezekriya refers to the damage done by seeing, literally, and that is a lack of privacy. There's an argument as to whether that is considered to be a real type of damage. 
But assuming that it is, the Mishnah says, Partners who wanted to make a division in the courtyard, and we're talking about a case where they've already divided the courtyard between them. So each one has taken their own half of the courtyard. And now one of them wants to build a wall in between them so that the other person can't see everything that he is doing in the courtyard. Remember, they would do many, many of their daily activities in the courtyard. So since Hezekiah is considered to be a real type of damage, one of these people, one of the partners who has split the courtyard is allowed to turn around to the other one and force him to share in the expenses of building a wall. But in the Sakosobensa, they would build the wall in the middle. That means that they would both need to give up the same amount of space of their parts of the courtyard for the sake of building the wall, as the Mishnah will later describe, and they would both need to share in the expenses of the wall. Now, there are many different types of walls which one can make. Some are more expensive than the others. So the Mishnah says, In a place, in a location where the general practice, and we're talking about the general practice which was done in courtyards in that area, where they were building walls in the middle of the courtyard. So if the general practice was to use, was to use govil to build the wall, Govil refers to stones which have not been smoothened at all. So they've got lots of rough, jagged edges. And they already take up more space as well because of that. Or gozis, if the general practice was to build a wall in the courtyard made out of gozis, which are stones, stones which have been smoothened and straightened. Kafisin, half bricks. Levenim, full bricks. A full brick is three by three tefachim. So half a brick is three by one and a half tefachim. Bainin, they would build the wall accordingly. And that is the maximum that each partner is able to force the other one to share in the expenses of building such a wall. And the point being that the other partner can't turn around and say that I only agreed to split the courtyard because I assumed that we wouldn't really make a wall in between us. Or we wouldn't make a wall, but out of something very flimsy and very cheap. He is not able to claim that, because if that was really true, then he should have made a condition when he agreed to split the courtyard. We're discussing a chotzah she'imbo din chalukah. So he wasn't forced to split the courtyard. And when he agreed to do so, he didn't make it only on condition that they would build a very cheap wall in between them. And therefore he is obligated to share in the expenses and in giving up his space for the sake of a wall in the middle of the courtyard, according to the general practice in that location. So as the Mishnah called Medina, it all goes according to the general practice in that location. And it also goes the other way around. If the general practice is to build a very flimsy wall in between them, then that is all one partner is able to force the other one to do as long as the privacy is retained by such a wall. Now, in terms of the space which each one needs to give up, the Mishnah says, by Govil, when it comes to the stones which have rough, jagged edges and which haven't been smoothened, each partner needs to give up three tefachim. The wall altogether would take up six tefachim. By Gozis, regarding stones which have been smoothened over, if that's what they are using, then less space is taken up. So, each one needs to give up two and a half tefachim of their space in their half of the courtyard, bakfisin, if they're using half bricks. So we said before, half a brick is one and a half tefachim by three tefachim. So the width is one and a half tefachim. And because that's quite a small width and they're half bricks, they would put two next to each other. And there would be cement, there would be a tefach of cement in between. 
So you've got one and a half plus one tefach of cement plus another one and a half tefachim of brick, which all together is four tefachim. So zenusin tefachim, zenusin tefachim. Each one needs to give up two tefachim of their space in the courtyard. But avenim, when it comes to full bricks, which had a width of three tefachim, and there wouldn't be any cement going widthways, so zenusin tefach Each one needs to give up one and a half tefachim of their space. Now the Mishnah says, Lefichach, therefore, and this is going back on the entire law of the Mishnah, that they both have to share in the expenses and in the space when building this wall. Because of that, if the wall fell down, even if all of the stones, for example, fell into one of the halves of the courtyard, since we recognize that this is a courtyard, and so we know that it must be that both of them shared in the expenses of the wall, the space of the courtyard and the stones of the wall which have fallen down are split equally between the two owners of the different halves of the courtyard. Mishnah base, Vechein Bagina, the same applies in a garden. If there's one garden next to another garden, and listen carefully to how we're going to translate the next part of the Mishnah, we're talking about a case where there is no general practice in that location, and the Mishnah says that the law of gardens which are next to each other, in a place where there is no specific practice or custom as to whether they build walls in between the gardens or not, we look at it as if it is a location where the general practice is to make a fence, and therefore the owner of one garden is able to obligate the owner of a neighboring garden to share in the expenses and giving up space for building a wall in between the two gardens. Now it should be noted that here the concern is not Hezekiah, we're not concerned about privacy because it's a garden. What would they use it for? Planting things. It's not like a courtyard where people spend half the day in the courtyard doing many of their daily activities. Here, interestingly, the Mepharshim say that the concern, is, the concern is an eye in horror. Literally an evil eye, where if somebody is looking at their neighbor's garden the whole time, and they might become jealous a bit. So there's this concept of an ein hora, that they can give a sort of evil eye to the neighboring field, and that can cause damage to the field. And because of that, they would build a wall. Avil babika, but in a valley, where there are large open areas, and the things which are planted there are more green, it's not really a garden, but it's grain. In this case, if there is no general practice in that location, then we view it as as a place where the general custom is not to be able to, is not to make a fence in between the grain fields, and therefore the owner of one field is not able to force the owner of the other field, the neighboring field, to make a fence in between them. Elaim writes, but if he wants to make a fence in between their fields, then he has to bring it into his own property. He cannot use up any of the space of the neighboring field. And he would build the wall and he would spend all of the money on it. And in order to make sure that it's clear that he is the one who built this wall, he should make a sign with lime. He should spread some lime on this wall on the outer side, the side which is facing his neighbor's field. Because if he would do it on his own side, then when he's not looking, in the middle of the night, the neighbor can easily just put some limestone on his side of the, of the fence as well. And then you won't be able to see who was the one who built the fence. 
So you should do it on the other side, and then it will be clear that he is the one who is the owner of this wall. Therefore, if the wall ends up falling down, we will know that the space which the wall occupied and the stones of the wall belong totally to this person and not to both of the neighbors. Now, if they built the wall with both of their consent and participation, they both were interested in building a wall. So then, they would build the wall in the middle, using up the space of both of them. They would make this sign with the lime on both sides of the fence, and therefore, if the wall ends up falling down, then they would know that both the space which the wall had occupied, as well as the stones of the wall, belonged to both of them. Mr. Gimel, this mission discusses a place like a bikar, like a valley with lots of open grain fields, and it's considered like a place where the general custom is not to make fences in between the fields. And the Mishnah tells us that Hamakif es somebody whose fields surround somebody else's fields. So let's say Ruven's fields surround Shimon's field, Mishlaishukhisov on three directions out of four of Shimon's field. So we've got Shimon's field in the middle, and Ruving's fields border Shimon's field on three sides out of four of the sides of Shimon's field. The Godar, and he made a fence. Ruven made a fence, on the first, second, and third side of Shimon's field, meaning on all three sides that the fields are bordering each other, Ruvain built a fence. So it now emerges that three out of four of the sides of Shimon's field have a fence there. However, since it's a location where the general practice is not to build fences, a Ruvain is not able to obligate Shimon to share in the expenses of the fence. However, if his fields would surround Shimon's field on all four sides, and Reuben would build a fence on all four sides, then he would be able to force Shimon to pay, because now Shimon is benefiting from these fences, not only in terms of privacy, or whether the other person can see or not, but now his field is totally protected from animals and the like from entering into his field. So he is 100% benefiting from these fences and therefore he would need to pay. Just if there's only three out of four of the sides, so then animals can still come in on the other side. So he's not really fully benefiting from the fences yet. Now in a case where there's a fence on all four sides and he does need to pay, he doesn't need to pay for half of the cost of the wall which was built. Rather, he would need to pay for half of what it would cost to build a relatively flimsy wall, which would be enough to do the job of stopping animals to come in. So even if the other person built a very expensive wall, Shimon would only need to pay for half of what it would cost to build a relatively weak and cheap wall, because really that's all that he needs, so he can claim that that is all that he is benefiting from. However, Rabbi Yaisi says, in Omad Vigodes if Shimon got up, and made the same type of fence on the fourth wall as Ruved had done on the other three walls. By doing this, he's now shown that he's very happy with that exact type of wall which was built around the other three sides, and not just the very flimsy type of wall. And so in this case, Magalgan Olavasakol, we would literally roll onto him all of it, 
meaning he would now need to pay for half of the cost of the actual wall which was built on all four sides and not just for half of the theoretical cost of a more cheaper wall. However, the Tanakama would hold that even in this case, on the other three walls, he would only need to pay for half of what it would cost to build a weaker wall. Mishnah Dalit, this Mishnah returns to the subject of the first Mishnah, where a wall was built in the middle of a courtyard, and what happened was that Kaisel Chotzer, a wall which was in the courtyard, Shednofal, which fell down. Each partner can force the other one to rebuild the wall, the Arba Amos, up to a height of four Amos. That is considered enough to block the other person's view, to stop there being any hezekriya, and therefore, even if until now the wall was higher than that, he cannot force the other one to rebuild the wall to a height of more than four amas. Now, once they have rebuilt the wall, if one of them claims to the other one that they built the entire wall from their own expenses, and that the other one needs to pay him for half of it, and the other person claims that he already paid his half, the Mishnah says that Bechezkas Shenosan, there is an assumption that he did indeed pay for his half, unless the person who is making this claim can bring a proof that the other one didn't pay his half. Since it's a known fact that they are both obligated to pay half for the sake of the wall, it's unlikely that he started building the entire wall with his own money without first going to the other person, making sure that he would pay him for half. And therefore it's assumed that indeed both of them have already paid for half of the wall. Now continues the mission, If one of the partners wants to build the wall to a height of more than four amas, we cannot force the other partner to pay for this. And if he wants to do so, he would pay from his own pocket for the part of the wall which is higher than four amas. So what happens if he did so? And then the other partner, he built another wall a short distance away from this wall, and he built it to a, the same height as this wall was, more than four amas high. Even if he hasn't yet put a roof in between these two walls, since it's quite clear that that is his intention to use the middle wall and to take advantage of the extra height which the middle wall now has, so now we see that he really is interested in it being higher than four Amos. So we now roll on to him everything and he has to pay for half of the entire wall, even the part which is higher than four Amos. Now in this case, if one of them claims that the other one didn't pay his half for the wall, for example, if the person who built the wall claims to the person who has now built a different wall and is planning on making a roof in between them, if he claims that that person hasn't yet paid his half, then he is actually believed. It is assumed that indeed the other person has not yet paid for it, since there's no obligation for him to do so. So we do very much assume that one person just built the wall, because at the time that he built the wall, the other one was not supposed to pay him for it. Unless the other person can bring a proof that he paid for the extra height of the wall, it is assumed that he has not yet paid, and he would need to pay now.